No punches pulled. <laughs> yeah, we're, not, we're, not, we're not very hardcore on the show. We usually let our guests do their own speaking and we don't, uh, you know, we don't go too far. I mean, we ask the hard hitting questions like, how do you say your name? Yeah, yeah. I know, right? And then probably what your favorite Dorito or chip is, I think, is a question we've asked multiple times. So, You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John T Show, everyone. It's your boys, uh, KJ, Nathan, and Patrick. We are oh, here. Oh, man, KJ. Yeah, you are, but also you a boy. So uh, that's just how... Are we the John just, T men now? Did yeah. We no, never, like the John ever. T man. Man. Nope. Nope. Then we'd have nope. to like launch our own line of like barbering products. You'd be like, you can get a Johnchi razor and like you know like Johnchi shaving cream. No, I don't because we all sport the uh, bunch of facial hair that we yeah. require. <laughs> facial hair well, products. Well, hey, we need to shave regularly podcast, because man, we, we could be like lumberjacks. No one knows <laughs> except on. for when you visit us on the live stream and you're like, ah, oh, oh, well, then that's different. KJ's got these. the most facial hair. I can't grow that much. This is my pandemic is facial hair. You've been growing it since last year. Yeah, <laughs> it, took me, it took me a very long time. <laughs> One year's everyone, worth. Everyone was freaking out. They're like, I can't find a razor to shave my facial hair. It's like, I don't need a razor, baby. I know. Mine just falls out for some reason. It's gross. Gross. <laughs> Mine's patchy. Same. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who tuned in uh, on Facebook Live, on Clubhouse, on whatever platform it also was broadcast to that I maybe didn't even realize for our Solal uh, Lunar New Year's live stream. That was so much fun. Um, we announced a couple of big things. We announced uh, our new um, ways to support the show in the buy me a coffee with uh our shop which will eventually drop we're still working out some of the kinks but very very soon uh excited to launch those things and uh specifically wanted to shout out jordan van hemert and allison no walk uh wait she took your last name right yeah her yeah she has my last name okay great i feel like a nathan trying to like wait a minute <laughs> We should. Do we talk about our names on air? Uh, anyways, wanted to shout them out for becoming members on Buy Me Coffee. That is uh, really, really fantastic. We are so blown away. Like my heart was so full, I couldn't believe that anyone would just be like, "Hey, here, let me chuck in a buck or whatever." That was it. Just really made my whole like couple of days, however many days it's been, they have all been made. So thank you to everyone who has done that. Um, yeah, we will eat the snacks graciously yeah yes you and honor us and our tummies yes. why don't you explain what john chi means for our oh first yeah time that's listeners. right yeah, that's right it's been been a long time it's been a while it's been, it's been since last week been a long time since i rolled in uh so john chi means to celebrate to feast to have a good time with your favorite podcast korean american adoptees jk uh i mean it does mean all those things, but maybe not that last part. Anyways, uh, so we use it because uh, we want to celebrate who we are as people, celebrate who we are as Korean adoptees, uh, celebrate the intersectionalities of our identities and the people that we have on the show. Uh, so this week we're going to keep it short because we have this really incredible interview with Nick Ha or Nick Capicotto, um, and he is so gracious and so vulnerable with us and just tells us his story uh, that prompts us to share our own stories uh, in a really unique and powerful way. And I just wanted to to take this moment uh, kind of before we roll into the intro to or into our, our interview 
to thank all of our guests, previous and future. Um, I feel like we get a lot of people who come on the show or who submit something to their guest form. You're like, you know, my story isn't anything special or, you know, whatever. Like it's another quote unquote run of the mill story. And I just wanted to take a moment. If you're listening to this, if you filled out the form, if you're thinking about filling out the form, if you're thinking about your life and your story, your story is so special. Uh, and and I think that's one of the, the things that that we strive to do on the podcast is to uplift and amplify these voices because for so long we've just been like, I don't know. I mean, like my story is like however many other adoptee stories. And yet there are an infinite number of maybe not an infinite, but there are so many different versions of the adoptee story. And every time I hear a new story, uh, I am asked to be vulnerable. I'm asked to uh, update my understanding of what it means to to have an adoptee experience and uh and yeah so i uh, just wanted to to encourage guests past and future uh to advocate for yourself and your story your story matters your story is good and it is important uh and just the fact that you have lived a life is reason enough for you to come on the show and share it so thank you uh, to everyone who has been vulnerable and has shared their story thank you to everyone who uh we're looking to have uh come and do that um so yeah, in the interest of time, we're rolling straight in. So here is our interview with Nick Capicoto Ha. That's that's probably the best way to say that, right? Probably just pick one or the other. I would, yeah, I would <laughs> think Nick would be the best Capicoto in. Now, now so, cut a Nick Ha and then you'll be good. You can yeah. use either or. But yeah, he Nick talks about it. Ha in. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to take a second and tell you about the Hello Korea box that was featured in episode 20. It was so fantastic. Um, We are so grateful to Juliet and Hello Korea box for giving us a box. And would you like to say box again? (laughs) <laughs> yep, Hello Korea box uh, is a really fantastic box uh, of goodies. We got K Beauty, we got K Lifestyle, we got K Snacks. Nathan, Patrick, what were your favorite parts? Uh, my favorite part was the <laughs> snacks. I really like the socks. I've worn them many times, and I also like K Stationery because I didn't know that Koreans had their own stationery. Um, so I like my wife on. told me that when I was wearing the socks, it was the most fun socks I own. So, all right. Yes, they, sounds like you need to spice up your sock game, bro. <laughs> apparently so, and this this box is the way to start. Uh, I personally love the pens the most. I use them on the daily; they are amazing. But yeah, like everything in that box was uh, really really cool. There was two packages of ramen too. Oh yeah, this shoot, one. I, oh, I forgot that. about that. Anyways, look, if you were like, man, this stuff is awesome, and uh, I want to get my own box, you can use Johnchi fifteen uh, to get fifteen percent off of your purchase uh, at hellokoreabox.com. If you want a little Korean culture in your life at your home make sure you go to hellokoreabox.com right now use code johnchi15 at checkout to save 15 percent. on with the show welcome back to the johnchi show here we are with our guest today we have uh, episode 26 i think is we're gonna do this one on right and so well, we are back with uh, Nick. Now, do you like Nick or Nicholas? Nick, please. I, Nick. There's a few friends, special ones, who call me my full first name, but they're, they've gotten exceptions over the years, so Nick's good. I should have asked you that five minutes ago. That's why the guys are laughing. 
Dude, I was I was about to commend you because the last time you had learned, you had like corrected your mistake. You're like, okay, we roll into the episode, and then you ask like, so how do you want your name pronounced? So this time we talked about that ahead of time, and then you're like, wait a minute, hold on, actually, Nick or Nicholas still got to a <laughs> name situation. I saw, his, I saw his name on the Zoom, and I just instantly went to almost call him Nicholas, and then Here, I'll, I'll, I'll change it. No, so that was so, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> We're not nameless like on the show. We're not nameless. Come I, on. There. It's okay. I mean, we are a little bit. Okay, that's this, true. That's what makes this all fun. So, the continuity but, part works too. But Nick Capicotta, so um, Italian Get background. Coded. Tell us a little bit about your your adoption story and where you were you were raised. Yep. Uh, so I was. Uh, my records are not totally totally clean in the sense that they're super specific and accurate. So, like, I know I was born in the. Yangsong province or, or region. So based on some other details, I think that probably means like near the Busan area. I, I tell people Busan, but my records don't specify a city. So that's uh, that's where I was born in the mid 80s. I was put up for adoption uh, three days after my birth and got adopted uh, four months later to a family in the beautiful city of Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. There's definitely no snow that falls there ever or a football team that has Let's lost. Let's go Bills. Woo. Yeah. Or lost four straight Super Bowls. So none of that, none of that rings any bells. But uh, I came to a, a family who weren't, well, they thought they weren't able to have kids naturally. And after trying for number of years it just it didn't work out naturally and they looked to i don't know if this was like korean adoption was their first choice or if they looked at other other routes uh, it's never been a topic we've discussed but anyways uh, they ended up uh, getting me from from korea when i was four months old and then after that lo and behold things worked the natural way <laughs> because i have i have a a brother who's biological to my adoptive parents a year younger than me. I have a, a sister biological to them three years younger than me. And then my father through his second marriage had uh, another child. So he's my, I guess, half brothers, the, the correct term who's believe it or not, 18 years, my junior. So I'm just like a weird uncle to him more than anything, <laughs> but grew up in Buffalo, New York, you know, very, very white upbringing in, in an American or white American suburbia. You know, didn't have much other Asian presence around. There, there, were, there was one other Korean adoptee who was, I'm not sure, I think they're like distantly related to us family-wise. We've always treated them more like family friends more than relatives. I think she's like a, I don't know, fourth cousin couple times removed i don't know how to go through that and then uh true family friends uh, they had an adopted a korean adopted son who was around a little bit when i was growing up uh, we've kind of fallen out of touch all of us have kind of fallen out of touch especially since i've moved away from buffalo but uh, other than that though you know they were really the only regular you know asian people around in my life which wasn't even that much until i guess you know college which was a time when I definitely didn't uh, didn't associate with with other Asian people. I was too busy trying to, to white out all the time because you know that's that's what I knew from 
growing up. But in, in terms of my adoptive family, I mean, it was a great upbringing in terms of I was, I was always food on the table. I always had, you know, presents at Christmas and there's a, a, always a good roof over my head or, well, two roofs because my parents divorced when I was fairly young. So it was, it was uh, two roofs, I guess, for most of my formative years. So that, that kind of created an additional little, you know, wrinkle in my years as an adolescent and a, and a teenager to have to kind of, you know, balance that in, in as well and whatever effects that likely had. How was your relationship with your, um, your brother, your brothers, I guess? Yeah. I mean, the, the younger, the really younger one, uh, I mean, we're not real close, but then again, how many siblings or half siblings that are a whole generation <laughs> difference in age are really that close. Um, I mean, we're about as close as you'd expect two people of almost 20 years age difference to be, uh, the other brother who's, who's a year younger than me. We were definitely very close growing up. We weren't always buddy buddy, but we were, you know, we were involved in a lot of the same things, played the same baseball team. But you know, we, I think, I think a lot of our fighting would have been probably the same, the same crap that any other two young American boys who are a year apart would have would have done with each each other. Um, to be honest, now I don't want to say we're distant or that we're close. I think we're somewhere in the middle. Uh, but it seems as I've gotten older with a lot of my family, the, our relationships seem a little forced at times. And definitely when I was growing up, different family members, it was, it was very forced and it's, it's always been kind of that way. So I don't mean to say that with my you know brother who's close in age that we have a bad relationship, but it, it seems like we both kind of try a little too hard sometimes to make it work. And I'm not, not sure what that really signifies, but it, it does seem a little bit manufactured at times. Sure. Hey, uh, really quickly, Nick, do you have a robot vacuum that's running right now? I don't. You get a lot of background noise. There's yeah, I can't figure out what, can't what figure it is. Out who, I hear a hum too, and I was curious. Oh, you have a Yeti? I do. So the way you're oriented, you're not at like the diaphragm. So can you set it to be perpendicular to your desk? Yeah, there you go. That's, that's the front of that's it. That's the middle. way. Oh, yeah. That sounds nice. So now we get those dulcet tones, baby. <laughs> I literally just busted this bad boy out like a week ago. So I'm still figuring <laughs> out how the hell to use it. <laughs> yep. This, this is the real reason. That's why we got KJ, the <laughs> microphone pro here. No, this Mike is the Pro. real reason I wanted to come on this. It wasn't to talk Yeah, no, about and that's the show. Thanks for uh, explaining your family history, and yeah. we out. <laughs> so easy. No, that sounds much better, actually. There's no hum in the background, and yeah, we can hear you clearer. So. Perfect. Oh, yeah, because it was picking <laughs> the fan. It pointed like straight at the fan. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a test. That was good. We KJ passed. Good job, KJ. Nah. Good, let's start over. So I can ask the... No. Yeah, I'm curious on... on how many times because that my sister was adopted so uh both of us were asian growing up in our age white dude our asian, we're asian. Yeah, i don't our think asian. either of you have stopped being asian <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we we you know we're always surrounded by by caucasian um friends and stuff in in oklahoma but i'm curious did you get 
often the question of people that didn't know you and you were walking with your brother and you'd be walking around people would be like oh and you guys are friends or uh, who's who's this with you or did most people know that you guys were brothers i definitely did get those questions i i to be honest when i was when i was a kid and and even up through probably like my early teen years i i used to brush that stuff off really easily mostly because yeah, I, mean, I knew I was Asian the whole time, but like, if you really ask me, like, no, oh, no, like, I'm just just a, another white kid in the family who just, you know, looks like this, and it, I probably was asked that question more than I remember, but yeah, no, I was definitely asked that question, and there would be times when, like, my brother, who's blonde hair, and well, he actually has brown eyes, but blonde hair, very you know, typical American white looking, looking guy. When we were kids, he would like say at, at a sports practice, like the first one of the year, like, Oh, you know, well, my brother's here too. And like on, I got a baseball team. Oh yeah. There's definitely going to be another, another blonde guy who looks, you know, 80 times more like him than I do. And like the coach be like, Oh, you know, I'm kind of like pointing around like, Oh yeah. Which one? It's like, Oh no, no, it's, 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 you know, that one's the, the Asian kid. And, it it never really bothered me because I think, you know, who who the hell would ever expect that? Not that there's like no transracial adoption adoptees in the world. It's just, you know, you don't I think as a white American or even even me as an Asian American, I don't assume that like every person out there has a a sibling of, of a different ethnicity or different race. So it's it, not the first thing you go to. No. Yeah. No. Maybe I should now, but it's just, I don't. <laughs> well, that's uh, I think that is happening more and more these days with the awareness that you know, uh, you know, we're trying to bring and other um, things in the media and the news and the documentaries that keep coming out. I think more and more people are aware of that now. I mean, they always knew adoption was around, but it's it's I think it's more of a, a eye opening thing for a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, this this is a valid option, even though they knew it was, you know, before, I think it's just because it's more, uh, the awareness is there. It's, and I'm, that's at least what I'm hoping, but, uh, yeah, and actually the, the, the situations, the occasions that really stick in my mind the most about that was so growing up in Buffalo, you know, the Canadian borders right, right there. So, you know, we used to go over to Ontario all the time for, weekend in Toronto or over Niagara Falls, Ontario for one thing or another. And I remember crossing the border with, and, you know, and this is back in like the early nineties. So not now where, you know, you can't, I was, well, we can't cross the border now anyways, but you know, now it's like, you need to show everything mm-hmm. to be able to cross it. Like back then it was much looser, but the customs agent would almost always ask my mother or my father or my grandparents, whoever was driving to pull the car up a few feet so that he could look in the back window and they would ask me who are these people or who are these people to you yeah and i remember sometimes not like super vividly but enough times where it kind of like manifested my mind of like what did this question really means like that's like that's my grandfather that's my mother that's my father like that's my brother that's my sister and it almost like flew over my head like why is this person asking me this question and then when i was finally old enough at maybe 10 12 years old to think well this looks exactly like 
a little Asian kid getting smuggled across an international border. Like that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) the situation was probably originally viewed. So there was times when I had to get out of the car and try to demonstrate to this customs agent that I was in fact a relative, you know, I was this, this guy's son, this woman's son, this, you know, the grandchild of, of my grandparents, whoever it was. And it was, I think it was more confusing to me than it was nervous. I'm like, now, oh my God, if I were to get pulled out of my car by a customs agent, like, whoa, like I, I haven't, I haven't done any illegal drugs in the last day or anything, or, or, you know, I'm not drunk or anything, but back then it's like, what have I done? Like, I haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you doing this to me? Profiling. I mean, that's, it really is. So you said those, those are memories that stick out very vividly to you. What was, what was from your perspective, your family's reaction to those instances of crossing the border and being profiled like that? In, in the moment, they you know they obviously were were silent as you're you know supposed to be. It's like you know one person talks to the the agent at, at a time. But afterward, honestly, we never. I don't recall us really talking about it that much, other than maybe just a very quick at the end of the day or as soon as we were at our destination saying. Like, you know, you're our son and that's the only thing that that's important to remember in that case. And that would really be it. There wasn't really much further explanation that I can remember. But then again, we're going back to when I was five or six years old. I think that's one of those few cases where maybe it's, uh, you know, quote unquote, more acceptable for that type of profiling thing to happen because it is kind of an issue of security. Um, but I don't think it's entirely dissimilar from even, you know, the coach assuming that uh, your brother's brother was one of the white kids. And it's that type of like I've been thinking about microaggressions, I guess, just in the course of being on the show. And it's just um, in the the more nuanced example of uh, the coach on the baseball team, the assumption that your brother, uh, your brother's brother was white, you know, and then being uh, that assumption being met with no actually he's the asian one and that like reaction being like oh okay as if you know like it's just that it's that a little twinge of oh this isn't normal and this like isn't what i expected and this doesn't fit into um the world that we have and the world that we exist in right and so i think that there is kind of a level of like uh kind of at every moment where you remember that you are adopted where you are told you know like just that those moments of like, oh, I didn't expect that you were part of this family. Um, is I think that adoptees really internalize like this is not normal. Uh, we are not a part of this family. This is not what people expect. We are uh, regularly um, outside of this family unit who um, I feel like I belong to. And then on top of just like the actual trauma of adoption, uh, that can be really hard to wrestle with. And so. Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I don't envy your parents for being in the situation with border patrol being like, uh, Hey, so you just got profiled and (laughs) us being white parents probably don't have to deal with that. So we don't really have language to give you our five-year-old kid. And also like, how much is this really going to affect you? And, you know, like we're finding out like quite a bit, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a rough situation. But I think, you know, it's just like one of those things, even as I'm thinking about my own history, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I, 
for some reason i didn't understand microaggressions i now kind of understand microaggressions and why like how they are a systemic thing like regardless of the individuals who might have actively fought against that that doesn't stop every instance from hitting you and, and impacting you and things like that um i'm curious uh if it's okay for me to pivot um yeah you said briefly when you were talking about growing up that when you went to college that you really gravitated towards uh i think you said being doing the white guy things or something like whiting that. out whiting like, out yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that could be it could be a buffalo snowfall kind of sure no, i've heard yeah. it too yeah, in indiana so i get it i get it yeah um, well and so so i'm curious uh on your on your form you said uh that you had kind of gravitated away from people of color um and that you you know your form implies that there's been like this change and 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 all that so i guess take me to college and (laughs) whiting out first off i'd love just to to know what whiting out means to you because it's such a funny (laughs) turn of phrase but also uh after that like what's been been the shift and uh you know like as you gain more comfort uh you know like what what's that shift been like to go from like really in college being like yep white people are my people i'm gonna go hang out with them to now like seeking out more diverse communities that was something pretty much that encompassed and embodied my my overall view of my my world probably until i mean in my mid-30s now so until you know like five five years until i was like 30 Uh, so you know college was just in the middle of that where it, it wasn't that i was ever I, I gravitated away from Asian people or, or other non-Caucasian individuals. I mean, I'd never had any any problem with other Asian people if they were around me or you know, black people, Latino people, whatever. But I never I never put any say voluntary effort into trying to associate or be in the presence of them. Uh, again, it wasn't because I had some kind of like hate built up or you know animosity, but it it's probably no different than how people tend to gravitate toward what they think they are or what they're used to being. So people who you know all like a particular sport, they'll they'll hang out with people who also play that sport or also follow that sport or whatever it might be. And I think for me, it was, it was exactly that. And anything different felt foreign. And maybe this is the big gut punch. It felt like I was giving up on my ability to assimilate into white America. And I think that's been one of the biggest struggles of my, my life, even to this day still, and it's getting a little bit better as I'm kind of getting more comfortable in my own skin. But it's was this fear of if I start hanging out with Asian people, it is going to be perceived by some of my white network or my white friends, or even in my own mind on the surface that I couldn't, I couldn't make it as a, as a white guy. So now I'm taking this proverbial easy way out and, hanging out with people who look like me 
even though we don't probably think the same or or yeah even though the mental hoops are probably like way harder right. to hang out with people who look at you like i have exactly no relationship <laughs> with your experience but i guess i'm supposed to be your friend or something yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that's it's it's been this you know fear i guess of of acceptance and with that it's always carried a very strong sense of self inadequacy like not not being like i always felt that despite how quote unquote comfortable i felt around white people for the majority of my life and probably still now it always felt like i was going into the race like with a deficit like i was never as cool or as awesome or as good looking or as tall as as all the the white you know white male friends that i had so and that was always my my benchmark was was my white male friends and I mean, I'm sure he'll hear this one day, but my white male brother was very much, you know, the same way brothers compete with each other. But I don't know if he ever knew that, you know, I viewed our sibling rivalry as probably more daunting than if, you know, I was a white guy, too. Uh, Nick, I uh in- your story really resonates with me, especially your like your feelings and your actions in college, because that's exactly the same thing that I did. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white town. You know, I was like, I've relayed this a few times, but you know, there were points in my life where I prayed to be white. Like I was wished that I was because there was obviously some mistake made. Um, and in college, I think I was coming, I was coming to be more comfortable with being like an Asian, I guess, but I was not comfortable with stepping outside of that circle for that same fear of I'm going to, if people see me hanging out with Asian people, then I'm going to lose every friend that I've ever known because they're all white. And my family's going to think that I'm starting to abandon them because they're white. And it just became like this Paul or this, like this Mark uh, inside me. That was just constantly like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like whenever you wanted to like start to explore or myself, like whenever I wanted to like start doing something, there was just something there. It was just no. And so I completely understand when you're saying, you know, these feelings of self inadequacy. Um, like I've recently been struggling with that a little bit, uh, just with some other stuff. And, you know, I just think it's, it's powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that because for someone, for myself, hearing another person, another adoptee go through even that ex- that same experience more so as an adult than as growing up in a predominantly white town as a kid um, is is really resonant to me. And it just, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. So I just wanted to to share that as well. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. It's, I, honestly, I think as a kid, it, it affected me less because I was able to much easier sweep it under the carpet. I mean, I was, I think I, I was so good from like high school and younger at sweeping under the carpet. I could have probably started my own cleaning business back then. <laughs> and I love it. That was great. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I'm a part-time comedian. Uh, unpaid. Nice. <laughs> that it, it, I don't think it affected me. It, I mean, it did, but I don't think it really concentrated or manifested enough where it induce the like the worry kind of as you were describing of the mm-hmm. almost like the damned if you do damned if you don't this seems like a lose-lose situation and then as an adult like as i became better at thinking 
critically and logically, especially about myself. It's like, oh man, like it gets worse. And I, I think I was protected a lot as a kid growing up. Like I went to a private Catholic school almost the entire time from kindergarten up through high school. So to be honest, like a lot of the like racially demeaning comments or stuff like that, I didn't, I'll be frank. Like I didn't get it that often or, or if I did, I, I just, again, I, you know, swept it under the rug, but I don't feel like I got it that often probably because I was in such a sheltered controlled environment where it, it just wouldn't have happened as much not to say that like well if you don't go to a private catholic school you're and you're in the public system you're just a barbarian right <laughs> i don't know i don't feel like i was called the names i mean um but there was this one little period of time when when my parents had long been separated where i was living exclusively with my father and i, I went to a public school for part of seventh and all of eighth grade and man was that was that a backhand to the face in terms of you are the only Asian? And this was in like super small town America. Like this was like a little bit away from Buffalo. We, we were kind of out in the in the boonies. So, man, that was just a backhand to the cheek and that you are the only Asian guy in this school. Every other student, this was public school. Every other student is going to make sure you know that. And that's when like really the only significant bullying for being Asian ever happened, you know, during my, my developmental years. And that was like, whoa, that did not, did not know to expect that. That's funny. That's, uh, that's really similar to like what I experienced, but slightly removed from that. So I was in private Christian education for most of my, uh, like K through 12 years, except for third through fifth grade, uh, which I lovingly refer to as the dark ages. <laughs> uh, but like, it's, it's funny because like looking back, I remember in public elementary race was a huge issue on the playground because like in Dallas, uh, it was like when we played soccer or like there was always a soccer game going on and it was just like all of the Latinos versus, all the non-Latinos, but like, so, so there was like a, a big racial delineator, like on, on the, the field. And that's also, I think when I thought the most about being Asian American was, uh, during my public school years. And then I kind of left it aside. And I think there's kind of that thing with, uh, Christian organizations or, um, the Christian schools or, you know, whatever, where there's like a, a coding of nicety, that just kind of pervades like you just have to be not that like people can't still be dicks but <laughs> um <laughs> there's a there's a coding of nicety that you are expected to maintain you know um and so and for me too like i don't if somebody said something even mildly racist or homophobic not homophobic uh xenophobic uh or um you know like whatever i think that i going through even through high school um, and probably part of college wouldn't even have caught that because that just race just wasn't on my radar at all. Like uh, in, in the, the quote unquote safe space of this white Christian school where it was like, we didn't really talk about race with my family. We didn't really talk about race with my school. So like if somebody had said something ignorant or hateful or whatever, I just like, it would have gone straight over my head. So, um, and, but yeah, I think, you know, from my experience, I didn't, I also didn't experience a lot of that. There probably were some things and I just wasn't even aware enough to know. So Most of my bullying came in uh, Boy Scouts because I was 
probably one of the only Asians and Boy Scouts and uh, typically got bullied there and picked on. Could have also been just because of my personality. Who knows? I always <laughs> you walk. Think, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think back to it and I was like, I got bullied, but was it because I was annoying or it was because I was Asian? I mean, you know, I, I really... Well, at some... least you have the, the self-awareness to be like, I might have been a super obnoxious I might have been, you know, a brat. I don't know. But but I do. I think back to those moments and I, and I don't know and I wish I was more aware some days when I think back to my childhood um, to the point of of just you know asking other people is like did you ever see me you know me get bullied or this and that but um and asking I, I friends like was i was yeah. I annoying as a kid <laughs> well when i see videos of myself as a kid i go yep that's why i was annoying so uh and nick i just want to say same thing with patrick too and then we can move on to uh, the next topic but I, I agree with what you said about going to college i i veered away when i went to college because the, one of the first things i got was a was a phone call and a letter from the asian pacific uh, asian american pacific islander club and they wanted me to join and i just was like nope i don't want to do that i don't yeah, want that's a super intimidating phone call yeah, it was a very yeah. one and i was like the reason I, I almost felt like it was like they were only inviting me because i was asian and they wanted to to you know i was thinking of it in a completely wrong way i was like uh you know, like they're trying to get me in and only because I'm Asian, not because of who I am as a person, you know, and I didn't like that. I didn't like being set in that, that physical face. You belong in this club kind of thing, even though I was adopted. So I didn't join. Instead, I went and joined a fraternity and just partied all the time. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and it was just a weird thing, but it was one of those, those moments that I was like, I need to decide, do I, you know, associate more. And it wasn't that I had anything against them. It was more the fact that I just didn't want to be, you know, among just only Asians. I actually wanted a diverse uh, group of friends and a diverse group of people. And that's where I thought the fraternity would be, even though it was 95% white. Um, <laughs> I guess the, the party part of that kind of took over there. You know, we later got a, we later got another Asian in the, in the fraternity, but and that's when uh, you started your pro ping pong career. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. the funny thing too is the only place I did see other Asians was when I went to go play table tennis, and it was like, ah, okay, uh, now, now I, I feel, and I should have realized like I that. found I my like, people. Yeah, I found my people here, and then okay, I'm out. I'm gonna go back to my white fraternity. Yeah, they're like, so, all right, we're gonna go back to the Asian American club. You coming? Nope. Gonna go back to the white no, fraternity. No, I got my bros to go hang out. With. Yeah, exactly. Someone's doing a keg uh, flip. There's so many things I wish I had known, and just even in college but um so when you you went to college in michigan right i went to grad school in in ann arbor there i did all my other schooling back in buffalo so i i I never i didn't leave western new york until i was in my my mid-20s to to go to ann arbor what what brought you uh so just school and then you decided to stay out there or yeah i mean uh i there was a little stint in the right after school after i graduated that was in in good old Peoria, Illinois, if anyone's familiar nope. with yeah. Uh, yeah, the middle of the cornfields of, of oh, central yeah. Illinois. Yeah. P-Town. What <laughs> a place. P-Town. P-town. <laughs> I know about that. And I live in central Indiana, baby. Shouts out to my friends who listen who are from around that area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if, if, uh, you know, if anyone wants $100 to guess where I, I worked when I was there, you'll probably get that 100 bucks. But yeah, I went there to walmart a lot at caterpillar for uh, <laughs> okay. a little period of time okay. and then made my way made my way back here to the mitten okay. what did you study in grad school at uh michigan so 
Okay, this this is a good segue into in some ways I'm like the least Asian guy ever, but in other ways I'm like the most Asian mofo ever. <laughs> okay. So I I have both a master's and a bachelor's in, in engineering. So like I went to U of M for for operations engineering. So and like to this day I'm still more or less in that in that field i work in automotive now so i'm super asian like when it came to my my education and my profession wait do you drive a honda i don't i drive i drive a a euro trash so i guess that's that's the non-asian part coming out i fell into that category i actually had a uh, acura integra for a very long time and then a honda after that so yeah i i'd be like i did the only quote-unquote like asian person well no i had a toyota when i when i first started driving as a teenager my my grandparents gifted me their uh, Toyota sedan at the time, but I had it's well, I guess technically it falls under the Reiser category, but I had a, a hatchback Volkswagen for a period of time. Nice. So, okay. you know, it's German, I guess that's still kind of a <laughs> kind of a cool Asian guy kind of kind of car. It was manual, so I guess that counts. There you, there go. you go. Did you have a good sp- sp- stereo in it too? <laughs> no, no, I've never been too much into like tuner stuff uh, with with any of my cars, and I, I do my did, own did car you put work. NOS in it. <laughs> no, I, I definitely would not have qualified. Live your for life one, one, fast uh, and one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> I, I was not living one quarter of a mile at a time. It, was, it took me way more than ten seconds to do anything. Uh, I had twelve, uh, two twelve-inch subwoofers in my trunk. So of course I, you did. I fell into that. You're rolling up to your table tennis tournament like Sup. I don't even know what music you're listening to out of those two twelve-inch. So, Chopin. <laughs> and here's the funny you need thing: the, you need the subs to listen to Chopin. My license plate was actually T A B L one zero S. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh. How did this podcast? How never talk about this, this is coming out now. I forgot. Like, I forgot to mention like, that on the last. Uh, our last. Wait, why did it stop? Why did it stop being that? <laughs> I hung it on the wall. I don't know. I yeah, I'm a nerd. This show so, is called the John Chi Show. Hashtag or no colon the journey of Nathan's table tennis career. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I love so, it. Mo- moving on, let, let's go back. A little Nathan bit more. Like, let's, let's get, get away from Nick. my table tennis. Yeah. And get back to the story of. Uh, I'm enjoying it. You, you were. You said you were adopted through New Beginnings, which uh, our last guest, yeah. uh, Lauren, yeah, was also I noticed that. that. So shout out to New Beginnings, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even though she, she kind of bad mouthed them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, great, I but. think I, I think you know a lot what's going on. I, I don't. I know. I the very least, Patrick is following what's going on and. Korea right now with the way they're the kind of like yeah. treating people with mm-hmm. uh, the sense of like you're like a Christmas gift in a in a way, but um, yeah, I, I mean the adoption agency side of it, I I guess I don't have enough of an opinion yet about that. Yeah. So to say that like New Beginnings is a really good or really bad entity, I yeah, I hear you. I think that's un- really typical of of coming like. On this journey, is you you come into a community that is finds themselves at all different places of uh, experience, of vocabulary, or whatever. Like that, there is a real um, fluency, I think, in in understanding what we're talking about, and like even being aware of like what things should I pay attention to. You know, like I think when I first really started coming out of the fog, um, which is 
term we use to basically say start the journey. Um, when I really started it, I was like, whoa. And that was just perusing casually in Facebook groups that there was lots of different talk about pro-adoption and anti-adoption and like how we feel about uh, our birth parents or going back to Korea or uh, like, I don't know, there's like 800 million different paths that we can talk about that it's just kind of us reclaiming our narrative or us uh, talking about and learning how to talk about our experiences. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I, I totally, I totally get where you're at about being like, I just don't know enough yet. And that may never be even a thing that I care to learn about, about, you know, like adoption agencies and, and uh, the social system of adoption and, and kind of all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, Nathan, I think you were kind of going there with, with, your question of, of, you know, me and what my status is now with it and coming out of the fog and which is something, a term I learned just a couple, couple months ago. So I, I had been in it for 30 whatever years and didn't, didn't realize it. So yeah, how about that? Joke's yeah. on me. But it, it all happened very, it's been happening very quickly for me. And it's something that I did not have the guts to, I think in the back of my mind, I always wanted to look into it more because I'm a person who likes closure with things, doesn't like leaving knots untied or loose ends or things unfinished, but it scared the bejesus out of me to start looking into it. And if you can believe it or not, the real kind of catalyst to get me over the hump was if anybody's familiar with that show, This Is Us. I, I saw the trailer for it when it was just starting a few years ago. And I said, this is an interesting story. It's like, he's not Asian, but he's still a transracial adoptee with siblings who are biological to their white parents. Like, sounds a hell of a lot like my story. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not big into watching series. Definitely not like network drama series, but I'll, I'll go outside the box and I'll, I'll watch the pilot. And it, you know, it really hit me in the feels it, 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 I, you know, I don't cry often. I definitely don't cry when other people can see me. And I definitely, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever cried like at a movie or TV <laughs> show ever, but like that, that got me there. That first episode got me there. And I think that was just like that little bit of extra emotional encouragement to finally dive in and start looking into it. So the first thing I did and, and, you know, there's really so few people in my network that know this is I contacted my adoption agency, New Beginnings, to start the process of trying to see if we could figure out, you know, anything or, or ideally locate some or all of my, my birth family. And I spoke with with the person there and she gave me the, the forms I needed to fill out and the documentation that I would need to provide to them to start the search going. And I remember that I needed stuff from my my mother kept all of my my adoption paperwork and whatever stuff just in a box and she had had it for you know since forever. And I, I didn't want anybody to know that I was doing that family wise. Uh, there was a couple really close friends who I said, this is what I'm going to do, but they're all friends who like, they don't know anybody else that I know. Mm -hmm. So they're like one 
to one friends. Your secret friends. That's right. The secret <laughs> society of friends. They all know me, but they don't know each other, and that's on purpose. <laughs> so I told a couple of them, didn't want anybody in my family. So like, oh, geez, how am I gonna how how am I gonna like effectively con my mother into sending me this stuff without her knowing? So I I, I just you know, I don't think there's a way I'm gonna be able to do it. It's like if I if I wait till I go home, which wasn't gonna be imminently at that point, like if I just take it, like she's gonna find it eventually. And then like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess that's no different than just saying, like, mom, I want this stuff. So, you know, can you send it to me? So I did. I, she probably had an inkling. And she still doesn't know to this day that that I've done this. And if any of my family members do know it, it's either because it's made its way through the grapevine somehow or they've just guessed right but don't really know that they've guessed right. So got the necessary stuff for my mother, submitted it, and the, the the woman at the agency said, okay, just you know, sit tight. This could take a month or two. This could take a year. We don't know. We don't know what we're going to get. If we get anything, we don't know if it's going to be 100% true. We don't know, you know, you're certainly not going to know how you feel about it because we don't know what it's going to be, if anything. So I, okay, all right. I, I kind of almost wish like, you know, I hope this takes a little bit more time because it'll give me more time to get emotionally ready for it. I think it was about three or four months, which I was surprised. Like that was a bit quicker than I thought it would be. And I remember the day very well. I was at I was at the office. This would have been in 2017, if I remember correctly. And the woman who I'd spoken to initially called me, and I was in a meeting or something, so I couldn't answer the answer the call. So she left me a voice message and said, "When you get a chance, call me back. We've heard back about a few things. I have a lot of updates to give you. Make sure you're in." a safe space that you can listen to this doesn't have to be today, but when you get a chance, you know, give me a shout back and be in a secure location, I guess, emotionally secure mm-hmm. location. Oh, not, yeah. not operating heavy machinery or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I wasn't at Caterpillar at the time, but definitely you wouldn't want to be operating an excavator while while listening to this I'm call. shingling my new roof what <laughs> tell me right right or you know right before skydiving yeah something like that <laughs> i'm not gonna pull the shoot so i called her back as soon as i got out of that meeting which was i think you know a couple hours after she initially called me she said you know are you are you in a good spot like you're not like standing at the ledge of a building or something like that it's like no 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 i'm just outside the office building here give me the give me the rundown so what we ended up finding out is my birth father, they were, they were from all what we can tell, they, they were married. Uh, so it wasn't, at least from what we received and what was originally in my paperwork, that it was like a, an affair or, you know, a, a quickie one night stand kind of situation is my, my biological father passed away. He was a commercial fisherman. And he passed away in a in a vocational accident two months before I was born. And I have a biological sister who's six years my senior, 
and a biological brother who's four years my senior. And because of the situation with the death, my biological mother was strongly urged at the maternity home where I was delivered that she would not be able to financially support now a family of, of three and that she should, I mean, I, from what it sounded like, she was essentially like, you gotta, you need to put this, this kid up for adoption. Like it's, it's just not going to happen here. So three days later, I was on my way to Seoul to get placed in foster care and was added to the list of, of, uh, adoptee candidates. Uh, and my, my number was 85 C 297. Wow. You remember the number? Yeah, it's well, I didn't, I never knew it until a few As years a baby, ago. When I yeah, my he learned it and then he... Exactly. It's my first words. <laughs> I don't know. Tattooed across your chest or something. Yeah. 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 So uh-huh. the crazy thing was that, like, I, I never knew what those numbers meant initially. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like a year after finding out all that stuff, I was like, huh, I wonder what these numbers mean. Like, is it just a random set of numbers? And I found out, you know, the first number is the year in which your, your case was added to the system which that didn't surprise me. The second number is which number case you are for that given calendar year. And from what I've been able to find through a little bit of research, the year I was born and and placed through adoption was the highest number, single year number in the history of the whole Korean international adoption process. And I guess I have to believe that because... I was added to the list. My birthday was actually this month, uh, but I was added to the list and you know, I was already number 297 that year. How, what was your initial reaction on that phone call when you got that information? The good news was it was in the afternoon. I didn't have any more meetings or anything like that to do for the day at work, but she, the 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 woman who I who I spoke with, she said, you know, are are you okay? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I just need to process. And so said, you know, give give us a call back, send me an email, whatever, as a follow up. If you know, there's anything you want to talk about or or whatever, you know, just give me a holler. I said, okay, thank you. End of the phone call. I walked to the very far end of uh, the parking lot it was a big building so you know big parking lot walked to the very far end of the parking lot thank god it was a nice day out that day sat down on the curb at the edge of the parking lot way the hell away from the building for i wasn't watching my looking at my watch that close but i bet i just sat there and thinking for at least an hour hour and a half just about what i just heard and I, I didn't I wasn't crying at all at that point. It was it was I think just too much to process at that very moment in time. It was just kind of thinking, oh, they weren't able to locate it. Sorry, I should have added like they weren't able to get any information about locations, whereabouts, or even, you know, was anybody still alive or anything like that? And and I guess it just skip forward the the case remains unsolved and that like i've never it's we've never found it anymore but in that moment it was thinking my goodness uh like i'll never meet assuming all this is true i'll never meet my biological father and he never had a chance to meet me there's 
a damn good chance that if assuming my brother, sister and mother are still alive, that I'm never going to meet them. Not that it's impossible, but it it hit me that like, I'm probably it's there's a good the chances are I'm not it's not going to happen. And I guess maybe I could at some point hire a private investigator to try to dive into it a little deeper. But that really had me hung up for a while. And I, I thought a lot over the, the following months of, do I want to pursue this further? Do I really want to try to locate these people if in fact they do exist and they're still alive? And I, I eventually, going against what I'm normally like with trying to close things out, I I've, think I've made peace with the fact, and it took me probably about two years after that to make peace with the fact that it's probably not going to happen. Uh, and I, I have done DNA testing since then as I, I wanted to know some stuff about my medical health, but also it's, I won't lie, like a little bit of a hope that like, Hey, maybe someone's going to know somebody through that. They didn't like, there's some very distant cousins that probably wouldn't lead me anywhere, but you know, I, I kind of, I, I go in every maybe once a quarter and check, who my you know, new contacts might be through that just to maybe one day I, you know, met other people that it's like, yeah, they did it. And then multiple years after, lo and behold, someone close enough to the biological family, like came up in the list and they got in contact and was, you know, was able to, to make a reunion out of it. So there's a little bit of hope in my, my mind that that could happen one day, but realistically i'm not i'm not expecting it i'm not holding my breath on it i really want to thank you for sharing that with us um that was that's a journey and that's a a lot of stuff to come up and i couldn't imagine even receiving that phone call and trying to process and like you said you know it wasn't two hours later that you're able to make peace or semblance of something like that's two years and trying to find that closure i think as an adoptee especially when you get information that says, yes, you have relatives alive or, or you have relatives at some point, whether they're alive or not, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. And I think that's, I think it's a powerful thing to hear for other adoptees and adoptive parents, anyone who may be listening, um, solely because I think it's such a rare thing we talked about on a previous episode, you know, 10 to 15% of people are going to find something and 85% of people are not going to. And I just, I was actually not going to talk about this uh, for a while, but I feel like your story um, makes me want to share this is I just got my DNA test results back from 23andMe today and 99.8% Korean. Um, learned a little health stuff, a little trait stuff. But the thing that I was kind of disappointed about was I did not have any close relatives at all. And I don't know if I was going into it thinking that that was going to happen. You know, I think I had felt like I had mentally steeled myself uh, for that eventuality and holding a little bit of hope, like you said, you know, after your DNA test. Um, but I can't say I can't say that I was happy to, to have nothing. You know, it was really kind of disheartening for a second. But I think hearing you explain your story and your process of going through that and continuing to hold hope, you know, just a sliver, even though, you know, nothing may come of it, uh, 
really helped me, I think, just in this moment of kind of processing that and knowing that, you know, if it happens, if it happens, it'll happen, you know? So I just wanted to thank you for that. And uh, just for sharing your story in general, I think it's a really powerful one. Uh, and I think it's really important for our audience to, to be able to hear. Yeah. No, thanks Patrick for, for sharing that about you, especially that just coming in now and you've you know really had no time to process your own, your own additional or new situation. And I, I know for me, I, you know, for other listeners who are going to listen to this in the future, uh, it, one of the toughest things is I'm sure my my family and, and I think I, I kind of wanted to to come on with with the you guys here in that this maybe is I don't know if it's the best way or the ideal way but kind of like my own I I, I have to imagine now that it's like going to be more public my my family is going to start to find a way to to come across this i mean it's not going to stay as secret and I, I was fully aware of that coming in but i think this is kind of like my oh good i was like safe well, going, yeah I was <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my safe happy median of either just not telling them ever which i haven't still versus just sitting sitting them down or, or you know one-on-one sitting them down and saying hey this is this is what i know that you don't know that i know about myself so you know, maybe this is the cowardice way of doing it and like having them here this way. But one of the things I've always been terrified to, to ever make external or that I was feeling with, with my family is that I ever felt any of the ways I did were related to being adopted, being Asian, not looking like my family or really anybody around me for, for most of my life. I, I, I always, I think I was almost going back to what I was hitting on before about being, you know, afraid to fail within, you know, white America was if I, if it, if I feel or I divulge or admit that I think the way that I'm feeling bad about something that's related to, or, or a certain behavior of mine is related to my unique situation being, Asian or adopted that it's either going to offend my family or it's going to make me seem really what I use kind of to help define it in my mind is not, not tough enough to compete in, in white America. It's, it's kind of like an easy way out. And I think like going back to the whole, like, well, if I befriended more Asian people during college, that would have been viewed as, he can't he can't compete with the white people in his network so he's chickening out now he's gonna go see if he can do better with the asian people and i have no idea if people really would have thought that about me but that's what that's what concocted in my mind and it, i'm still struggling to get over that now and it really has enveloped so many things and i think one of the areas that a lot of asian men and especially i think a, Asian adopted individuals kind of resonate on is how does how does the opposite gender perceive and I know you know I don't mean this this as an indictment on because I know you know Patrick and KJ you both have significant others who are you know not Asian uh, but it, it was always a struggle of 
you know, because I'm living in white, white washed America, you know, whiting out, how do, how do white girls perceive me? And how often is it that I don't get the attention from them because I'm Asian and it's, I, I don't, I mean, who, I guess I really don't know how much that was the case, but it probably was to some extent. And it, it kind of sucks that so something's so superficial can be so daunting, but I would be lying if I said it, it you know, it didn't induce those feelings from time to time. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to echo what Patrick said. Thank you for, for sharing this with us. Um, I mean, we have the benefit on, on this of like seeing your face. Uh, and I can, I can see the work, uh, that you are putting into, to telling your story, uh, which is an unfamiliar process to you. I can see, uh, the vulnerability of you literally just like putting it all out there and being like, here you go, fellas, uh, <laughs> as, as my new favorite adoptee friends, I'm just claiming us as your favorite adoptee friends. <laughs> oh yeah. You're right. You're uh, the top. Yes. Uh, 100%. you know, just like, Hey, this is, this space is good. Um, and, and this is a thing that I want to share. And, uh, and I think we, I, I literally just watched it happen. Like you sharing your story compelled another adoptee to share their story and the four of us. And then the people who listen to this, like the whole community benefits from that kind of, uh, integrity, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of honesty. Um, and I mean, I know like, I, there is nothing about telling your story this way, whether it is um, on film, through a podcast, through a blog, uh, whatever medium, like this type of, for something as emotionally complex and difficult and nuanced as this conversation is, to open the dialogue with a one-sided monologue and then asking somebody to enter into that by listening to you uh, and not giving them the opportunity to respond yet. I think is a really powerful way to enter in because it, it, it forces the other party to enter in with a spirit of listening, even if that doesn't continue from then on, you know? Um, and, and so I, I think that, that this is such a, a good and a powerful, uh, and right way to do this. If, if you, or another adoptee feels nervous about it, I think that that's why you see a lot of adoptees writing memoirs, starting blogs, or in our case, <laughs> starting a podcast is because like, we're like, Hey, uh, regardless of the situation with our adopted families or our birth families or whatever, there is a greater system at work that we are feeling uh, a lot of things about, um, and and that is uh, race relations in America. That is adoption, international adoption in America, in in Korea or wherever uh, your origin country is. That is uh, so many things that for us, it's like Asian men in America and how we're like. There's there's just so many layers to this, um, and and I heard you say, and I, I don't know that we've ever actually used this language on the show, but like uh, that kind of um, racial imposter syndrome of like we all know that we're not white, and yet we feel most at home with white people. Also, uh, we all know that we look Asian, and yet we are so incredibly intimidated by hanging out with a group of Asian Americans, right? Um, who aren't adoptees. Like there is, like there, it just it feels like we don't have a place, uh, because in some ways we don't. Um, and so we are, are regularly faced with on top of already being given away by nature of us being adopted and, and feeling like regardless of what our parents are, our adoptive families, uh, regardless of the good work that they may or may not have done, uh, to make us feel welcome. Like we always, uh, 
I always feel like I'm, I'm trying to earn my place. Right. And so, so there is, there's just, there's so much nuance and, and complexity, uh, in, in all of this. And I just wanted to, to encourage you and to thank you, uh, again, really for, for telling your story, um, for approaching this conversation with, uh, so much care for the people in your life, uh, for, for the greater things at work. And, and I just wanted to say, uh, to you, to people listening that, um, a lot of what, I feel and what I've heard, um, and the sent in the sentiments of adoptees who echo what I feel, um, is really geared at kind of the greater systemic issues of adoption, of race relation, of, uh, gender relation of like all of these things. And, and it was things that, um, I think the world, the world, America, our families, whatever, just didn't have, they weren't going into this with a quite the same awareness as people in 2020 are, as they were in 1985, 1993, 19, you know, were you like 70 something? I don't remember. <laughs> 1942. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. You're not, <laughs> we're not ages on the show, bro. <laughs> no, I know. That's like a deep, deep World War II. It wasn't even happening then. But you get my drift, right? It was like, like the world is progressing, right? And we are becoming more aware. We are becoming more complex human beings. And so, yeah, I, I think that that's just, that's one of those things. That's one of the difficult parts, maybe the most difficult part of this conversation is with adoptees, we all get it, even though we don't have maybe the best language for it yet, or we're still trying to find our language. But for people whom we love who aren't adoptees, you're like, but I, you know, there, there's a lot, but I was like, it's not personal unless it is, but it's, it's not personal. It's, it's, we, it's personal to us against these kind of greater systems that, that even we may have unknowingly participated in, you know? Uh, yeah. So it's, that's, it's just such a weird, hard, complex thing. But, um, I, I so appreciate you sharing your story, um, and, and being this honest and being this vulnerable, especially, uh, for, for American dudes, um, two of them especially putting their hearts on their sleeves and, and being this vulnerable. I, I just like, I so value that. And so, um, yeah, greatly appreciate your, your honesty and your vulnerability, your gen, what's the word genuine being, you're being genuine that part, whatever. Yeah, sure. Whatever the word is. That's, and for yeah. coming on the show, like you said, your family doesn't know yet. And now it's it's out there and this may be the way that your family is finding out um it is definitely not cowardice it is no. not um you know it is there i don't think there is any right way uh to to do what we all sometimes eventually get to which is this coming out of the fog and not everyone who comes out of the fog though searches for their biological family um so that that is its own set of of you know categories in itself but doing that is there's so many things that are involved in that and we've talked about it on the show and, the, and you know i know people talk about it online um some people don't do it until their parents have passed away some people um don't do it because they're they just have a feeling that their uh, adoptive parents don't want them to do it um and so they're just they're scared to do it and then you know others have the full support of their family and even if they have the full support of their family they'll never really know if their family what they feel about that and and that was one of my biggest fears is that uh, when i did it i i had to 
ask my parents, you know, over and over again, I was like, are you, are you guys okay with this? Are you, um, you know, I, I, I do not want to replace you. I do not want to, um, have, uh, this have anything to do with the way you brought me up. I'm not, re you know, saying that I'm not trying to, um, what's the word? I'm not trying to offend. I don't want to, you know, to think that I was missing anything. And that's probably one of the reasons why it took me so long to do it. Cause I wasn't ever feeling like I was missing a family aspect. Um, and so I, I just didn't want to do it. But then when I finally, you know, talked to my parents about it and after being inspired myself, it just was, they were so supportive. And I think there are those types of, of, of family members out there. And I think they'll understand, uh, especially when they understand that it's, this is something you're doing for yourself. This, in a way, it doesn't have anything to do with them um, and being, you know, their family. This is you discovering your your past and your story, and um, and you can only hope that every um, every parent and every family member understands that. And I think, you know, I think more and more are realizing that, especially in today's world, um, that that sometimes this is just something we all need to do for ourselves. Well said, man. Yeah, for sure. It, it's it's been. I don't. I don't know if I was ever afraid of what my family would think about my my investment to look into this stuff. I think it was more my own self fear of it making me seem like, even though it would be kind of an attempt to better my self identity, it would it would be a detraction at the same time from the identity I've built up for multiple decades. And I think it's coming to an acceptance that it, it's not one doesn't replace the other. It just simply adds to you. It, it makes you more comprehensive and more whole. It doesn't, you know, it's not a case where, well, in order to add this new thing, you have to clear space. So that means you have to expunge something else out from your life previous. Because all of that past is a fact. All of that stuff that yeah. you find is has already happened is is real. It's just it's information that is there, and uh, you know, I commend you for doing it. Like I said, so yeah. Fortunately, you, being yeah. human isn't a zero sum game. <laughs> like, no, you just get to add add things. It, do, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I went to engineering school. Unless you so need I can to do all that, man. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so Nick. Like, man, thank you again for, for sharing. Um, if people want to reach out to you and say, Hey, I appreciated you telling your story. Um, and, and they feel comfortable, you know, with you, uh, like just, and I want to swap stories. If they want to reach out to you, man, where can they find you? Yeah. Well, thank you guys first and foremost for, for the opportunity here. This was, it, it, I think it was one of those times that was probably equally scary and exciting at the same, the same time. Like I, I, sweating in my shirt here out of <laughs> nervousness and anxiety <laughs> positive anxiety like equal amounts but yeah if people want to reach out to me and please do like i i always try to tell anybody i speak to like if i'm going to take the time to speak to you or or in a medium where you're going to listen to me like please use me as a resource but um on instagram uh, and this is definitely a a play on a play on the words of that whiteout situation so my instagram handle is white dot a dot minute okay. <laughs> wait a minute yep with with uh, a dot between 
Amazing. each of the three words. So there's two dots in there. Or on Facebook too. I'm I'm on there as Nick Ha though. So H A is where you can find me on Facebook. But my picture is accurate there. My my baby face will be smiling right at you. So <laughs> you'll know it's me. Great. Well, really, really appreciate it. Uh, sharing your story and and uh, and everything that you've um, you know been through. Again, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we typically go into a, a food portion. We haven't, uh, uh, we didn't get to do the show. Yes. This is still part of that. <laughs> okay. Just in case. We, we, well, we, we are going to so have I can one. cut that. Yeah, I can cut that together. One. That was all so, extra. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In case. <laughs> I was just asking questions. Guys, come on. Love your editor, Nathan. I'm, I yeah, I'm making you edit all this. I love it. So, okay. Superb choreography. Yeah, here, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is a classic show. Uh, this is how the sausage gets made, bro. <laughs> This is how, how the KJ soul, stays the up all sausage. night long. Yeah. <laughs> hey, nice. So, Nick, we would love to have you back on for the food segment. So, here we go to the food. <laughs> like that? Wait, okay. Thanks, Sorry. The, the, all right. Nick, thank you so much for sharing our story. Oh, my gosh. Nick, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we will be diving in with a food or a drink item. We don't know yet, but you will because the episode will be finished. So, here we go. Welcome back to the John G Show food portion. We are here with Nick Capiocotto. Uh, is that close? Yeah. I no, there was, there was like, almost I don't know why they're laughing at me. No, because I like I, the inflection. That was there awesome. was almost I, an L. I was like, there's no L in his name. It's almost, it almost Calpicotto. That was good. You did great. Hey, I'm just trying to be, you know, authentic here, right? Yeah. Just no, like, you're right. You're right. I should be more inclusive of how people say names. I apologize. Name, right? I'm apologizing well. on air. We just had this well. conversation about my no walk name. We did. So we we did. Pick the wrong person to get to his <laughs> to lead in, right? You, you're just gonna have to take it. Anyways, <laughs> we are. Nick, back thank you for your interview. It was fantastic. <laughs> the interview was amazing. It was yes, such a great thank interview, you, Nick. It was. And, thank you, guys. Uh, and we're happy to have you back here for the food because you know this is this is half the fun. We don't want to miss this part of the show. It's a um, real treat a little treat if you will thank you i'll be a dad at some point in my life thank oh. you thank you oh Goodness. i, I didn't even get it dad joke wow <laughs> couldn't even describe it dad joke anyways <laughs> what are we eating what are we eating today uh we found an item in our munch addict box again because we just love this box so much and it has and, lots of snacks uh, it is thank you again Weitheim. Munch addict it is white Oh, you got the whole box. Like that. Nice. Yeah, you, you you probably should just. Might want to cut that one. <laughs> yeah. Let's oh, you got that. a whole box. Yeah, it's the yeah, smallest. Man. It's the only size I could find. Yeah, I know. Oh, he bought the whole box. I felt I felt I bad like when it, I man. saw that he bought the whole box, but then I was thinking, but if these are really good, I'm going to be yeah. jealous. But I, if they're really know. bad, <laughs> you're going to have to send them uh, $7.99. White Heim. Does anyone ever really look up a? What Heim means and B, why it's German. Well, Man, I can tell you, you one thing. It's got a natural story. So no oh, artificial yeah? stories in this in this piece. Na- it does say <laughs> natural story. White hazelnut, which uh, I do like hazelnuts. There is really very little to this packaging. It does not show much on it. So honestly, we have no clue if it's a... I mean, it feels like a biscuit, but... A cracker. You feel like a biscuit. It does have the Korean oh. website down here at yeah, the bottom I of the back that of the too. package. Crown.co.kr. Which, which is the we only thing. We should have done more research that... on the actual item, but hey, who knows? Maybe, is there more on your box, Nick? Does it give a little more story about what it is? It, no. 
Yeah, we don't even have the ingredients. The prox is pretty limited here. I was hoping for a bit of a novel, but yeah. Well, it's just a I guess version. the mystery will be solved once we open it. So it's yep. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna dig in. I, I will say I like the color. Of like an airplane snack hmm. that you get with the the beverage cart, like a Biscoff cookie. Exactly. All right. That's kind of what that looks like. Crumbly. Like it mine came out crumbling. broken in half, like a Kit Kat. So it looks like it's got four round cylinders, wafer-like, and mine came out with two. We're going in oh. with the scissors. It smells amazing, by the way. Oh, it does. Yeah. So that that right there makes me think it's like chocolate, but... All right. Um, I'm know. on a website called yummybazaar.com, <laughs> and this is what it says. Whiteheim hazelnut cream wafer cookies are made by filling hollowed wafers with a creamy hazelnut cream. These Ooh. Korean snacks have a light and airy texture that crumbles to reveal the nutty and buttery cream that flavors the wafer cookies. Oh, here you go. A little bit of history. Crown Sando started off by producing Korea's first sandwich cookie, and these hazelnut cream wafer cookies serve as an example of why the brand has remained as a staple since its founding. All right. So this is a staple. First sandwich cookie in Korea. Ooh, this Great. is amazing. Why did I just drop a bunch of... Oh, man. I got crumbles everywhere. Yeah, mine's already I'm crumbled digging in it. the package. I am, too. He's glad it's he like, bought the box. Yeah, I know. See, now I want that box. You do. Mm. Yeah, I have 18 mm. of these packets in here. Goodness. No, that's creamy for mm. sure. It's pretty thin, wafery. Like, it is light and airy, as, no. as the description said. Much creamier than the last thing that we tried uh, mm -hmm. from Munch Attic, which had a cream in it, but it was more of a paste. That right. was like a that was like a fake cream though. Right. Like yeah, a, this is more yeah. of a chocolate for sure. Yeah. This is what? literally like a chocolate hazelnut inside a crunchy wafer. Wow. Yeah. This is definitely just white hazelnut cream inside of a crunchy wafer. If I had to describe it, if I had to describe <laughs> it, it's exactly yep. that. Oh, okay. Exactly what it says. That's, maybe that's why they don't put much description. It's true. Just let you Oh. Eat it and make your own judgment. I like that, actually. I don't think I I'm like allowed that. to eat the, the other one because I think Sarah, when she saw it, she was like, oh, I love these. I want to have it. <laughs> uh -oh. So I have to. She's not here right now, but I have to save it because I think she was uh, disappointed by me not saving the What a the good husband. Photo. I'm going to you know what? I'll send you some. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, KJ? That actually inspired me to save my second one for Emily. So I'm going to wow. set this aside. And oh, man. I'll hook you up. Look. <laughs> Yeah, Nick, just throw it. Just throw it in the basket. Nick, He's like, I need to sell these for my, my face school. Is be on this box a, next it's year. a fundraiser. I hope so. Let's make that happen. John Chi, yeah. John Chi Nation. Crown. We are getting Nick Capicotto's face on the White Heim box by this time yeah. next year. Make it happen. Hashtag face on a box. <laughs> I'm all for it. That's, that's a like terrible it. hashtag. I like it. Um, so, so you guys are saving yours. You're really saving yours yeah. for your wife's? I'm going to save mine yes. for, for I have. Wife. I think any other snack I could get away with it, but this one I'm pretty sure. If it's not this one and she's like, gee, thanks. I'm going to like, ugh. But like if it, yeah. Has she listened Just, to the last episode yet? Because she, you definitely said, I'm not going to share any of this with Sarah and then ate all the I mean, snacks. I also so told that to her to in hear person. That. Oh, so. you already yeah. told her? Well, <laughs> yeah. Cut that out. Cut yeah. out what I just said. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to cut all of it. That's not Me good too. podcasting content. I, I, I'm going to save some also. Am I going to be super chastised Munch. if I open another one? Not no at all. way, man. You gotta, just we're going to eat is. vicariously through okay. you right I'll now. I'll buy more. Yeah. Hashtag okay. IZ Promoting first. the brand here. Support. Yeah, that's right. We're getting your face on that box. 
Yeah, that's right. I can't <laughs> I can't get on there if I don't keep eating them. That's yeah. very true. I'm sorry, yeah. Nick. You're gonna have to eat white heim, white hazelnut bars for the rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, we're really sorry to introduce this to you. The, the calorie you content know. is. Uh, oh, I'm sure it's light. Oh yeah, what's the serving size oh. and what's what's the calorie content? Oh, so surprisingly, it's not as bad. I mean, I guess the light airiness. Do you want to know the serving size or the calorie count? I want to know both. Both yeah. or first serving size. Uh, yeah, serving, serving size is two of these packages. Oh, one dang. serving? Yes. Score. Okay. Interesting. So if it's yeah. two packages, you said um, one ten mm. on calories. Are you sticking no, with that? No, no, that's if what it's, Nathan said. I if I didn't know it was two cal, uh, two packages. Here, if let's two guess. packages. I'm going 180, 180, 190. All right, Nathan's uh, 180 cool. or 190. We're calling it 185. What do you got, KJ? I'm gonna say one. Do a Price is Right style. Do a Price is Right style. <laughs> one fifteen. <laughs> one eighty four. That's what you said. One fifteen. One fifteen. Dang it! I was gonna go yeah. low. Um, <laughs> go lower. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah. One fourteen. I'm gonna do an even hundred. Even hundred. Okay. All right. All right. Here, let's see if we will. Calorie content. One seventy. Dang it! You went so over. Close. You went over. Yeah. I mean, oh. I still win, but I was very off. <laughs> right. Uh. I was way off, too. But that's surprising <laughs> that it's two. I mean, it's two. So 170, what is that? 85? Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. For one of the packages. That's not bad. And then that's only so 42 and a half. half of that is, I only ate yeah. one. So. <laughs> Woo! I'm healthy. It's a great. I'm healthy. It's a great baby. time to be counting macros. <laughs> and, and Nick is just following the directions and having two servings. So. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I like I mean, it, and you know you're only getting in 170 calories with two packages. Mm-hmm. That's actually terrible because that would yeah, make I'm me want to eat a bunch. I'm going yeah. runner next to this anyway, so oh, I'm cool. Good for you. Perfect. Nice. I would yeah. definitely buy these. Okay, let's do rating systems. I think I think yeah, we already yeah. know what we're all going to rate. But scale from one to five Heims. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you find out what that meant? It didn't say on the on yummybazaar.com. You know, I'm not a huge sweets fan or dessert fan in general, but these are. I mean, I, this box might only last me till about ten o'clock. So <laughs> that's, that's how you know Amazing. we succeeded. Is he yeah. ate the whole snack, a whole box of yeah. Snacks. And I'm not a big chocolate fan, so I'm glad like these were in there because I'm not like I prefer non-chocolate sweets over chocolate sweets. Okay, yeah. So this really fits the bill. I'm, I'm giving it the full five, full five times. Yeah, nice. I like it. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna give it uh, five castles as well. Is that uh, what Heim means? No, no I'm going to tell you what Heim means. Well, okay, wait. Actually, there's I'll tell you what it means. I'm going to say, get to me. Wait, I'm going like to, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> what's the, what's the word? Correct my statement. It's not castles. I'm going to say it's mansions because it looks more like a mansion than a castle, but five mansions out of five. Uh, this is amazing. It is like, I love the light airy texture. The cream is perfect. Sitting in your mouth is wonderful and it just kind of dissolves. Yeah. It's wonderfully buttery. I wish that I had like a, um, an espresso to to have alongside of it just like just a small coffee i think that would really like make this whole thing really nice um and the um the lingering aftertaste you really kind of get that nutty that hazelnut sense which is really really nice um so this is one that's a keeper so yeah perfect five out of five yeah i'm gonna give it five out of five stories as well because i think KJ literally used every descriptor from that original uh, Did it really? description, I feel like, that I just read from. And I feel like it really was all of those things. It was exactly what it said it was going to be. Um, and I like that that little defining thing on the package that we have, which says natural story. That's what it is. That's what this snack is. It's a natural story that tells it just straight up. So five out of five. Yeah, but who's your favorite character in the story? And in a the, way, if you think about the it, Heim. don't we all the have Heim. our stories? 
Don't we all have our stories? Don't we all have stories to tell? I mean, this feels like a bad, show is about a bad transition. Stories. <laughs> and here, let me let me go even deeper. The the actual uh, definition of or ex, I guess the uh, um, translation of White Heim, <laughs> if it's German, which Heim I think is, but Heim Heim means home. So oh, it oh means gosh. white home, which is technically we all come from a white home. Ugh, that makes me amending my rating. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, that company. <laughs> you once had five crowns, you now get zero. Crowns. Sorry. I Sorry, crown that connection. I thought that was hilarious. Zero. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. It doesn't detract from the taste. And Korean pro- Korean company, why are you using a German word on your packaging to label your products? To have Korean adoptees, <laughs> dude. Okay, wait. It. I will say this is a weird thing in a lot of anime. The like, I don't know if they're just bored with their own mythology, but they use a lot of European mythology, and so you get uh, weird names that are very German in mm. uh, in the anime. I know that that's Japan. Maybe it's because Japan and Germany were part of the Axis, and so that's why they're like, yeah, that's fine. But anyways, uh, I'm just like. Not entirely surprising to me, but maybe it's just because I'm an anime fan. Yeah, lots of Greek, lots of Greek mythology in anime. I feel like. All right, fives across the board. Well, I don't know if we've had one of those in a while. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm... we literally just had one with the photo photo. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I think the last one was pretty good too. Yeah. That's... Well, leave it to Munch Attic to give us a, a good product. I assumed Ooh, uh, they would. I... So. That's a good <laughs> yeah. point. Maybe at the end of this box, we should go through and give box ratings to Jerry's Mystery Boxes one, two. Hello, Korea Box and Munch Addict. So I'm we can down. Say, which has been I our, would love our to best do box so far. Yeah. Sorry. But thank you, Spoiler Munch Addict. Alert. Sorry, Jerry's Boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I will say they dates. were kind of the most fun, but yeah. <laughs> but yes, if you guys are interested in getting a, a box from Munch Addict, go to their website. They have uh, lots of different packages and uh, options to. Uh, to order so i think munchaddict.com very thankful for those and uh looking forward to the other items in the box we're taking our time with these for sure uh yeah so nick one more time for the youtube viewers or i guess maybe not for the youtube viewers but one more time where can people find you on the internets sure uh, on instagram it is white dot a dot minute white a minute with dots between the words and yes it is a, a play on words if you uh, have been listening to this episode <laughs> or you can find me on facebook but i'm in there as nick ha my my birth or my, yeah my birth last not i always say biological it's like no you're not <laughs> like there's a moment in time like before you technically Your have name, name is alive. right so yes my under my birth my birth last name mm-hmm. nick ha on facebook Cool. Well, and if you guys are interested, listen to Nick's episode. It is, um, I guess, I mean, this episode. This is Nick's episode. <laughs> listen. To, still here. If, if you're, listen to the thing that you just listened to again. YouTube, just go backwards. Go back and watch the, or listen to the full episode. <laughs> nah, you know what I mean. <laughs> you guys can figure it out. Parse through what I just said. And then I <laughs> really love Nathan doing stand up before the show. And just he's like, uh, guys, they'll be here. Just but uh, anyways, how about some jokes? Uh, so one time the <laughs> I like that's it like too. my favorite version of Nathan as host is, is like, uh, anyways, <laughs> g- the guys, 
How about that water, huh? <laughs> Guys? Yeah. Hey. What's up? Anyways, but- <laughs> uh, yes, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you can find us at the Janchi Show anywhere that we want to be found on the wait, that's not what I say nope. for the Janchi Show. I say you can find us uh at Janchi Show on all of our social platforms. You can send us an email to Janchi Show at justlikemedia.com. Uh, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you want to hang out with us more during the week, we are pretty active in our Facebook group, the John Chi Show After Party, or you can try to get in on that sweet exclusive platform called Clubhouse if uh, you just want to hang out with Patrick during work hours. Uh, it seems like a good time. Uh, for the listeners at home, he is waving. <laughs> I know you can't hear that through the microphone, but he is waving vigorously. He's not happy about it. Uh, you can find me at KJ Relke wherever I want to be found on the internet. You can find me at Patrick in the World on Instagram, hiding behind my microphone, or just my regular name on Facebook. <laughs> and you can find me at uh, Nathan Nowak Photography. Pretty much it's everywhere. So that's Nowak no Photo. photo. <laughs> I was like, wait, you changed your Instagram handle and it can be no, that long? No. It's not that long. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to email me, it's if you want to email time. me or DM me, you know the plan. Anyways, uh, thank you for hanging out with us, for listening, and we will see you next week. Until then, John Chi, hey yo, everybody! Oh, beat me to it by one second. Goodbye. <laughs> I liked it. All right. What? He said John Chi, hey yo, and then I was going to say and goodbye, but then he said it. I said everybody. (laughs) And now we have that great ending tag to the episode. Oh, yeah. Now we have great.